0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and our guest on this episode is Lee Steinberg, the original super agent... The inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire and the agent for current NFL superstar Patrick Mahomes. We'll be talking about his career in sports and his epic comeback after years out of the business. But we'll also get his unique take on some of the NFL's biggest events from an agent's perspective, including the upcoming NFL draft, Super Bowl and the NFL Combine. He's also an event organizer himself, hosting one of the biggest ancillary events around the Super Bowl, one that will return next year in his hometown of Los Angeles for the big game. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 21 will be held at the Atlantic City Convention Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey, September 27th through the 30th, 2021. This year, Conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program, and NGB Best Practices seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Lee Steinberg has become synonymous with the profession of sports agent, but it's a role he sort of fell into after being asked to represent Steve Bartkowski in the 1975 NFL draft after getting to know the quarterback in college at Cal Berkeley. Barkowski went number one that year, the first of what would be a record eight number one picks that Steinberg would go on to represent. Among his most well-known clients have been Warren Moon, Steve Young, Troy Aikman, and Ben Roethlisberger, to name a few. Simply put, Steinberg was the go-to agent, attracting so much business that when Cameron Crowe was looking for someone to shadow for his movie Jerry Maguire, it was Steinberg he chose to follow around. Then things came crashing down for Steinberg, and rather publicly, a battle with alcoholism cost him his agent's certificate and left him in a 12-step program that turned his life around. Now more than 10 years sober, uh, Steinberg has completely rebuilt his business, and when a young Patrick Mahomes and his family chose his firm to represent the up-and-coming Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, you could argue his comeback was officially complete. Uh, In this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, we talk with Steinberg about his up-and-down and and up-again journey as an agent, but I think you'll also be interested to get his unique take on some of the big- events that the NFL has to produce. As the 2021 draft gets set in late April, we talk to Steinberg about what that event is like, both for an agent and a draftee. We also discuss the NFL Combine and why it's critical not just to choose the right hotel, but the right location in that hotel. And when it comes to the Super Bowl, Steinberg's annual charitable event held around the game has given him unique insight into what it takes to organize an event around the big game. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with one of the legends of the sports industry, Lee Steinberg. Lee Steinberg, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. It's
1: a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thanks. It's been a couple of years since we've had the chance to chat, but I always appreciate your willingness to talk to our audience from your perspective as an agent, and not just any agent, of course, one of the legendary agents in the business. You've had an amazing career and continue to with a current client named Patrick Mahomes, among others that most of our audience would be familiar with. So there's a lot of ground I want to cover with you, Lee, in particular, to get your perspective on a number of the events, uh, particularly at the NFL level that you've been able to attend over the course of your career, get your perspective on on that. But for a little context, let's start at the beginning, Lee. What was what was your introduction to sports? Were you active in athletics as a kid?
1: Well, I played all sports in high school. I ran cross country and track, but I fell in love with the Dodgers when they came out to Los Angeles in 1958. And my father had been a great athlete and he took us to Dodger games and Ram games and UCLA uh, basketball. And so we grew up loving sports, uh, my brothers and I.
0: Well, you had some great teams there as well.
1: We happen to have some magic eras with uh, Sandy Koufax and the Dodgers winning World Series and. The Lakers had Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and and uh, Wilt Chamberlain. And the Angels came very soon after that. And we had two huge universities with UCLA and SC. And uh, I was a Bruin baby. My father took me to all the UCLA basketball games at Pauley Pavilion.
0: Well, they were a pretty good team to watch, too.
1: They won 10 national championships. Yeah. They won seven straight. And uh, so it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, followed by Bill Walton, and it just went on and on. So it was an exciting place with winning teams, Los Angeles Covets stars, and we had loads of those. And uh, so... I fell in love with football. I went to see the Rams in the Coliseum and we were in the $1 seat, So we sat so far from the field. You'd need the Palomar or Mount Wilson telescope to identify the players. We were there and it was fun.
0: And then eventually, obviously, uh, Lee, as you continued along, I know you went to uh, to law school, but uh, your beginning as a sports agent, you kind of fell into it, right? You were familiar with Steve Barkowski, yeah. your your first number one, right?
1: So I was a dorm counselor in an undergrad dorm while I was going to law school, and I had been student body president. I learned everything I needed to learn about negotiating from interacting with our governor Ronald Reagan, right? But They moved the freshman football team into the dorm. There were a lot of interesting people when I was a dorm counselor. One of them was Steve Wozniak, who went down and formed Apple Computer, and the fellow who uh, founded Power Bar. But Bartkowski was a quarterback at Cal, and the very first pick in the first round of the 1975 draft, I had graduated from law school and traveled the world, and Bartkowski asked me to represent him. Well, the field was very rudimentary at that point. Teams could hang up the phone and say, we don't deal with agents. (laughs) But we were able to get the largest rookie contract in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. And I remember flying in there and there were Klieg lights in the sky At the airport, the night before the signing, a huge crowd's pressed up against the police line. And first thing we heard was, we interrupt the Johnny Carson show to bring you a special news bulletin. Steve Bartkowski and his attorney have just arrived at the Atlanta airport. We switch you live. Hmm. Well, I knew we weren't in Berkeley anymore. Yeah, for sure. And I saw the idol worship and veneration that athletes were held in. So essentially, my dad raised us with two core values. One was treasure relationships, especially family, and try to make a difference in the world. And I saw that the athletes could be role models. And if they would retrace their roots and go back to the high school community and set up a scholarship fund or work with the church or Boys and Girls Club, they could lay down roots. And at the Collegiate University, it was Troy Aikman endowing a full scholarship at UCLA or Edron James at the University of Miami. And then we challenged the athletes to put together a charitable foundation with the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders sitting on a board to execute a program that would deal with some problem that was compelling to the athletes. So that's work done, the running back, homes for the holidays, 175 single mothers getting their first house with him making a down payment. It's athletes changing lives. And uh, so... The sports industry, again, was embryonic at that point. Each team made $2 million in the National Football League per year as a chair of the national TV contract. Mm -hmm. Last year, it was $200 million. So, (laughs) uh, Yeah, things uh, have changed just a bit. Yeah, so over the years, ended up with 64 first-round draft picks in football and the very first pick in the first round eight times and 12 of the players in the Hall of Fame and then did – Baseball, basketball, boxing with Lennox Lewis and Oscar De La Hoya, and all featuring the athlete triggering imitative behavior. So Lennox Lewis, the heavyweight boxer, did a public service announcement that said real men don't hit women. And that could do more to change behavioral uh, attitudes towards domestic violence than a thousand authority figures ever could.
0: Mm hmm. And and Lee, what was your approach then? And maybe it's the same now or maybe it's different, but certainly as you were building up your career, you were the go to agent. It seemed like you had everyone of of significance as a client. What were you what were you looking for? I mean, were you looking for uh, anyone and everyone or were you uh, specifically targeting athletes that you thought would kind of meet this model that you just described that you were looking to set up for them?
1: So that's a great question. And I found that if I sat with an athlete who was someone who was a self-starter, who had a giving heart, cared about the community, who was ambitious for second career, that I would have a good chance of relating to that athlete. So I tried to profile and research into the lives of athletes and their parents what their value system was. And I think the most important a skill set for all of us is the ability to listen. It's understanding another person's deepest anxieties and fears and greatest hopes and dreams. So it was the ability to draw out an athlete and cut below the surface, peel back the layers of the onion, and understand what their real priorities and goals were. So that process would take place up front and generally we would meet first with parents and then ultimately with the player himself
0: and Obviously, things were going so well for you. You've been very public over your career on on what happened to you next. You had struggles with alcoholism, and I know you're over ten years sober now. So congratulations on that. But Thank you. Uh, everyone has their own journey when it comes to something like that. Certain strategies obviously work for some and don't work for others. For you, Lee, what was your way out when you hit the bottom?
1: Well, the first key was to break denial because alcoholism is a disease that tells you you don't have a disease. And so it was to understand that there was a major problem. I couldn't keep living my life that way. And I was helped by proportionality, which was an epiphany that I wasn't a starving peasant in Darfur. I didn't have the last name Steinberg in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. I wasn't sick in any way that wasn't self-induced. Mm-hmm. And what excuse did I have not to be a good parent and to try to make a difference in a positive way in the world? So the thing that worked for me was this 12-step program with a unique fellowship. And if there are people out there that are struggling, depressed, confused because of a, a addiction to some substance, just don't give up hope because there are 12-step programs. And there are people who will help you. And so I dedicated my life to being sober and said, I'll be sober and I'll be a good father. And if anything else were to happen, then that's just um, a cherry on top. And uh, recently celebrated my 11th year of continuous sobriety. So now we're into year 12. That's excellent. well congratulations again, as I said on that. So Lee, what was the
0: what was the step back then uh, to the industry because I mean you had lost your certification for a while, but obviously have uh, have worked your way back. What was that journey like for you to get back into the business of representing athletes again?
1: So I really didn't have serious doubts about the ability to succeed in a profession, but I had been out of it for a number of years you had to be realistic about what the questions were. You know, can, how can you guarantee you'll stay sober? You know, you're mm-hmm. getting up there in age. Uh, do you still have the contacts and all the rest of it? And sports representation is as hyper-competitive a field as there is. Yeah, There are a thousand certified agents trying to represent a couple hundred football players. But I had a found a group of investors that would back a company, and had a breakthrough in 2016 by doing Paxton Lynch, who was a first-round draft pick of the Denver Broncos.
0: Sure, I live in Denver, so I'm familiar with it.
1: And then the next year uh, was the Mahomes draft, and last year was Tua Tongo-Vailoa, quarterback with uh, Miami and Jerry Judy. And eventually, we were able to pull it together and had a big group around me. No one makes any Progress in this world without lots of help and lots of talented people around me. I have a younger attorney, Chris Cabot, who's outstanding, and my son, Matt, who's an agent. And pretty soon we're able to use the same principles in terms of making a difference in the world with new charitable foundations. Mahomes 15 and the Mahomes, Uh, Tuatango Bailoa is setting up a new one, and it's all exciting again. And then recently, we did a merger with Ron Burkle, a businessman who runs a company called sure,
0: and
1: who has a number of properties in sports and entertainment, owns the Pittsburgh Penguins, and has sports agencies, entertainment agencies, and our world has now expanded into content supply and being a consultant for people that want to break through in sports, either with new health products or new internet products. We even did a digital uh, nft uh with mahomes a couple weeks ago so Mm -hmm. people are buying things that are virtual so there's all sorts of new technology and new ways to bring fans closer to sport we did a vr project where you put the helmet on and you become patrick mahomes in arrowhead stadium (laughs) just like that Um, (laughs) And and you see the defensive lineman rushing towards you and hear the crowd noise and predicated on what you do with the football, you can either throw a touchdown pass or get sacked
0: or get seriously injured. Well, let me take you back to the core of the business, Lee. Uh, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, he has developed into you know almost the face of the the league. You could argue at this point. How did you come about him? How did he come onto your radar in the first
1: place when he was uh, up for the draft? So he was playing at Texas Tech. And they had a defense that was allowing so many points that if they didn't score virtually on every drive, <laughs> they were going to have real problems. So, that's been
0: a long standing problem for that program, I think. Yes,
1: it gave people the perception that somehow he was a gunslinger and uh, undisciplined, and so he wasn't valued in the same way as he started to come out of school as some other quarterbacks, but you could see the personality with an eidetic memory, and you could see the ridiculous arm strength and great disposition. So his father had been a a major league pitcher, Patrick Sr., and he and his mother interviewed us. And so much of this comes down to values. Do you think the same things are important in life? I mean, how do you feel about short-term economics, long-term economics? Of security, family, spiritual considerations, geographical. And so it's it's matching up those values with people and, and doing some deep listening into what the whole ethos of a family and a young man is. And so that happened a number of times with the parents prior to ever meeting Patrick. If you like him, On the field, you love him off the field because he's very grounded and very much uh, someone who cares about other people. And uh, so that's that's how it began. And then in Kansas City, it was a perfect match because the key to win in sports is the quality of the organization. So it's the owner and Clark Hunt was excellent, and Brett Veach was a great front office, and then he had Andy Reid, who's a quarterback whisperer. So. Mm Between all of that, he went into a perfect program, and then he got to sit for a year and learn behind Alex Smith. And so when he came on, no one could have anticipated that he would be that good that fast.
0: Right. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, obviously, you always think your guy is going to be great, but uh, but you never know. What's
1: but you know, a- you know that there's a massive jump between the speed and players in the collegiate game and in pros. And for a quarterback, it's very confusing at the beginning because the players move so fast, the game's faster, and it just takes a while of seeing the field. So when he comes right on and throws like 14 touchdown passes <laughs> in the first three games, it's like, whoa.
0: And, and um, even even you, are you looking around going, what, what do I have well, here? He's
1: MVP his first starting <laughs> year, and then the second year, he's the MVP of the uh, Super Bowl. And um,
0: hey, Lee, what's that like for you? I mean, does the phone start ringing off the hook then for the next cycle when people really, just see you attached to him?
1: It's really exciting. And Chris Cabot's done an excellent uh, job with a lot of his marketing, but we didn't have him do endorsements for the year he was not starting, obviously. And then for the first year, so that It's an inherent understanding that the engine that pulls the train is success on the field. And so you need to prove to a community that you're serious about football or whatever the sport is and prove to the owner and gym and coaches and the other players that you're dedicated. And after that, you can start with the marketing. And then it's a matter of different verticals. So it's different products want exclusives. So it's a matter of doing one automotive and one bank and one clothing and apparel and the rest of it. But you can't let that get ahead of the progression on the field.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, of course, uh, great prospects get developed through the NFL draft. That's an event you've been around for a good part of your career. Of course, last year we saw it go virtual by necessity. Talk to me a bit about how that event, Lee, has changed. Uh, you know, From your perspective, you're there, obviously, with a with a different agenda than, than others, certainly than fans would be. Your first NFL draft, was it the one that we talked about with Steve Bartkowski? Was that the first time you yeah, were on site? Yeah, that
1: was the first one. And you, you have to understand this evolution. The draft used to be an event that you could follow episodically on the radio, but primarily it was next day in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. But that preceded ESPN. And they've now created a draft that is a three-day event, but led into by the most massive sorts of programming. So it's nonstop discussion about the draft and the weeks leading to it on uh, talk radio and, and every platform of content supply. And then they've done a great job of creating an off-season event that unites both college football fans and pro football fans so that everyone is, who cares about sports is talking about the draft. And then in the staging of it, it was always uh, great fun to go back to New York where they used Madison Square Garden, the players themselves would be sitting at tables in a green room. And so it wasn't a particularly intimate event. Mm-hmm. But draft time's not real time. It's like water torture time. Every second seems like a minute. Every minute seems like an hour. Drip, drip, drip. So sitting backstage, like with the Ben Roethlisberger and knowing all the machinations that go on, their families are all sitting there at the table. And now you have the fruition of years of since Pop Warner of aspiration to get drafted and the tension ratchets up and ratchets up and then the players drafted and there's rhapsodic joy. Um, <laughs> it's a release. It's a thrill. It's the most exciting day of the year. And they would have it in New York and there were always Jet and Giant fans there. And most of the players would stay home. Well, cause they only would invite first rounders and, and, hmm. The key then is having the right draft information so that you're not having a player sit there with ESPN documenting the lonely odyssey of this dropping draft pick. Worst case scenario. You know, I was lucky I had the first pick in the first round eight times, so I didn't have long to wait. Um, (laughs) But those are very special moments. So then they put the draft on the road and... You saw some extraordinary crowds gathering outside as well as inside, and it became a way for an individual community that wasn't hosting the Super Bowl, to, in the hospitality sense, have nonstop parties, have loads of people uh, fly into a city, have uh, a need for hotels, need for everything. The NFL would put up the families as well as the players, but it became like one big week of partying. And last year, for the first time that I can remember, there were no athletes live at the event. And what you saw was players drafted, and you would see the draftee sitting with his parents. And it gave you the sense that somehow that's what was going on at those homes. In reality, they probably had 75 to 100 people, (laughs) uh, but didn't want to be accused of promoting super spreader events. So all that was hidden. But I think people actually enjoyed it because they got a chance to see different homes, different families, different communities.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. And and we've obviously been tracking kind of the evolution of what may happen next. It, it's interestingly, I mean, we're already seeing you know Trevor Lawrence as an example, uh, possible or likely number one pick has already said he won't be going to Cleveland this year for the draft. So I think that's going to be interesting to see uh, how that evolves.
1: Well, what happens is the and Lynch did not go back to the draft, and the reason why was that at the draft, there's a limitation to how many people can be there. At his home, so we did Paxton Lynch's draft night at a bowling alley, and he was able to have hundreds of people. Matter of fact, when Denver drafted him, he was out throwing the football around in the parking lot uh, to cut the tension, and I had to run to find him to talk with uh, John Elway. Um, But then with Mahomes, it was at a country club, and it enabled him to have his pastor, his friends from high school, his high school coach, his college teammates, a, a huge um, amount of people there. And what happened was those started to be sponsored so that james's Winston's year, that whole draft party was sponsored. And so was Patrick's. So you you, you had... Branding and and uh, signage, and one time we did it with uh, Wild Wings, uh, mm-hmm. another time with uh, Panini, the trading card company, Yeah, but the sponsors paid for those draft parties, so I'm quite sure that if you look behind the scenes, Trevor Lawrence has some association with some company that's putting the party on yeah. in exchange for the NFL Network. ESPN and everyone else televising and seeing this seeing the branding and signage yeah let me let
0: me ask you about a couple other events obviously the the combine is an important event that's been in Indianapolis that also by necessity has sort of gone out to different markets everyone 's having their own scouting day this year. Talk to me a bit Lee from your perspective as an agent what that event is like that had built up to a, a fan experience as well over the years, but again you're playing you must be playing an interesting role on-site when that event is in one location?
1: So the players are actually screened off from agents. They're in one hotel, and the only people that can go in that hotel are the players. So you need to find, first of all, you need a hotel to stay in, and And those hotels have turned into the Super Bowl. So it's owners and general managers and every executive and every scout and every position coach. And then it's agents and then it's trainers. And so the trainers actually have training sites in some of the hotels where they'll train players and work with them on therapy. And so and every night everyone's out to dinner in some form or another. So it's become the Super Bowl of scouting. <laughs> and you, it's the place to be. The press comes and covers it just like it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. So all of a sudden you have literally uh, some number of thousands of press people, uh, electronic and print, on the site too. So it becomes like a convention of Americana with people from all fields there. Not quite the Super Bowl, but like that in effect, the Players Association has the agent seminar during that week. And so every agent in the country has to be there. And so you have this confluence of people. And again, it's where you stay in a hotel can be critical, where you hang out in a hotel can be critical. The restaurant situation is uh, critical, and we use all those venues. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, uh, we've talked about the Super Bowl. Let's talk about the Super Bowl a bit. Lee, you are well known for having a very significant party during Super Bowl week. Like everything else this past year, it had to be virtual for the most recent game. So, talk to me about what that experience was like, bringing what I know is a very large on site event to a virtual experience. How did it work out for you?
1: I think people enjoyed it. it, but it's not the same as being together because our Super Bowl party we give humani- is anywhere from three to 5,000 people. And yeah. we give humanitarian awards to an owner, a general manager, a coach, current player, retired player for philanthropic things they do on the field. And we do live hookups for the troops in the field in Afghanistan or, or Iraq, and we uh, ha- have a charitable cause. Every year we have a concussion conference where we talk about things. So the initial challenge is to find the venue that's got enough space that's also got interesting things to do. So Mm -hmm. in Phoenix, we uh, use the Science Museum. Another time in Phoenix, we use the uh, Arboretum and greened it up. In Los Angeles, we use 20th Century Fox's back lot. But we need a place that's evocative of the food, the culture, and it becomes a challenge every year. So it could be Jazzland in uh, in New Orleans. So last year, we did it virtually. So we had Frank Caliendo lead the broadcast off with some of his imitations of uh, people in the football world. We had a number of older clients check in, the Warren Moons and Desmond Howards, of the Uh world. We gave out the humanitarian awards and we did a section on on the kids and we did a hookup with troops, but it all had to play out in a little over one hour uh, telecast. So we were looking to try to make it programmatically in a way that would be compelling and would uh, hold people. But we also were able to display our rookies and potential draft pick and to So I think people thought it was sort of fun. The interesting thing is we do have celebrities. I try to program what's hot in popular culture. So the Mm -hmm. year that Joe Millionaire was the first reality show, we had Joe Millionaire or Ruben from American Idol, or one year Rob Schneider came dressed as Richard Simmons. (laughs) Only he was the bad Richard Simmons. He (laughs) ate Ding Dongs and got drunk. And on Jay Leno that night, the real Richard Simmons was a guest, and they showed him the video from our party. <laughs> uh, so it's a it's a, a real challenge because you're running talk radio shows from there. You've got thousands of people, and so it's and we'll generally get a sponsor for alcohol, and you're looking for things to sponsor that can display. So one yeah. year Mercedes came, and they had had a car rally, and so Serena Williams and a number of people came to that, but they showed off their new car. One year, Microsoft was a sponsor, and they showed up the precursor of a a iPad, Um, and the athletes got to use it, and people got to use it. So you have the people who are CEOs and executives in all sorts of fields, and they get exposed to our different uh, sponsors.
0: Lee, what's that experience going to be like this coming year? Los Angeles, your hometown has the Super Bowl coming up next season. What is your anticipation for the scene there, your ability to host these events in person again? Uh, What do you think is going to be happening next year?
1: So first of all, I think at the rate that vaccinations are going, that we can look towards a pretty normal future by that time. I mean, it's April of 2021. By February, which is a full year away, I'm assuming that things will be back to normal. We're making the assumption that the parties will all be back, that the that travel to the city will be huge. And it's the second largest city in the country. Yeah. When we had it in San Diego we planned for about 3,500 people and over 5,000 came and it's because we were at home. So we're back to Southern California and we have the entertainment industry and we've got loads of, of friendships. So I think it's going to be a completely exciting event. Los Angeles has got so many iconic venues and we're going to, have to find one that can accommodate all our people that, that where we can do a theater type show, uh, with the awards for, uh, for a half hour, break it down that way. And when we plan the party, it's how many utilities can you get out of the same action? You know, can we find a place to have our clients, and their families and our rookies and NFL executives and people that we do business with and the press. And it's how many different ways can that one event benefit our practice? Yeah, it, uh, it
0: makes sense. Have you had a chance to be in the new stadium yet, Lee?
1: Yes, which is stunning. Given how shut down everything has been, it's going to be a perfect display case for every corporation in the country that takes over hotels. And as you know, Los Angeles is massive. The county is the second largest county in the country. (laughs) Um, The city itself covers areas. So you would look that. Some of it will be centralized in downtown. Some of it probably in West Los Angeles. They'll have to be a nexus. It happens at West LA and downtown with no traffic, you know, is 15, 20 minutes. With traffic, you know, you better start now for next year uh given your <laughs> <for> car <sure. laughs> and start driving.
0: Well, maybe you'll get lucky, and Patrick will pay you a visit with his team for a third straight year.
1: You know, when you're an agent, there are probably two or three things that are especially compelling, but above all is having a quarterback who wins a Super Bowl, which I've had with uh, Troy Aikman and Steve Young and Ben Roethlisberger. There's nothing like that. That player's life changes dramatically. Forever And players that play dramatically in that game have a chance to cross out of the narrow genre of hardcore sports fans to become household names. So it's not just that the game, the week before it is covered, the people that never watch a football game watch the Super Bowl, they're pulled into it. Our culture has revolved around Super Bowl events, and then you've got the player I remember the night that Troy won. Each of ABC, CBS, and and uh, NBC said you can only be on our station. Well, Troy did all three, <laughs> and, and and then all of a sudden there were magazines and uh, other shows, and it propels someone out of that narrow genre of hardcore sports fans to become a household yeah. name.
0: Well, it's got to be an exciting time for you, you know, Lee. Congratulations on all the success, obviously with with Patrick and and you know throughout your career it's always been exciting just to kind of watch the people that you associate with and that are associating with you because you've been so successful over time and and i think we're all looking forward to a time around the super bowl if not sooner when we can start gathering again at uh, some of these amazing events so lee i just want to thank you for your time in talking with us today and kind of walking us uh, through your experiences and and obviously wish you the best of luck in everything to come
1: and i I I want to thank everyone who, who runs a convention center, where, where we have Radio Row, who does a hotel, who runs a competitive venue. Um, it's, they all do such terrific jobs and play an essential part in making collegiate and professional sports what they are today.
0: Yeah. Thank you for, for knowing that as well. Obviously we agree with you and, and, you know, we're in the events business and, and it's been a very difficult past year. And I, uh, as I said, I think everyone's looking forward, but we're coming back. I, I absolutely agree. And, uh, it's, a, it's exciting to, to almost be there. And hopefully, you know, by next year, if we talk again, we'll be in a much better, uh, much different situation than we are even now. But, uh, Lee, th- thanks again for your time and, uh, and willingness to be on with us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com or at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook
1: and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewirtz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.